This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. It's the most anticipated WNBA season in history. And you know what that means. Court is back in session. Welcome to Queens of the Court, an Odyssey original podcast. I'm your girl, Cheryl Swoop, And I'm Jordan Robinson. All WNBA season long, we'll be bringing you interviews with star athletes, analysis on your favorite teams, and lots of hot takes. Order. Order in the court. Follow and listen to Queens of the Court on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. It's real simple. You know, if you take a person's legs away, they can't run. Bear down, baby. That's it. Bears fans, this is Take the North with your hosts, David Haw and Dan Weeder. We're going to take the North and never give it back. Welcome to the Take the North podcast. I'm David Hoff with the Moline Hoff Show on 6-7 The Score. Dan Weeder from the Chicago Tribune up at Hallis Hall. It is the day after the Bears' worst loss of the season, maybe one of the more disappointing ones in their 14-game losing streak. Dan, never a dull moment at Hallis Hall. Feels very familiar, and yet today, a Monday, the day after, kind of different. I deleted some tweets on uh... – Monday morning, David, before sending them. <laughs> Dan, Dan Reader's learning. Uh, don't, don't kick over the, the hornet's nest unnecessarily. I, 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 you'd think that there's no new ways to, to, to experience failure. And then we get two new ways. We get a 21-point blown lead on Sunday at House Hall. And then we get a receiver who's suspended, maybe, dismissed, maybe, banished for certain from the building and we get a head coach who can't explain it properly. And so every time you think that there is like a, 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 we've reached every single level of head scratching failure, there's something new. Let's get right into it with our opening drive. It's time for the opening, the, the opening drive. Well, I can say that Chase Claypool isn't worth the effort. And I think a lot of people will nod their heads in agreement. At the same time, I realize the symbolic value of his presence and his absence and all that he represents. He is somebody that Ryan Poles gave up a de facto first-round draft pick for. He is somebody that has been somewhat defiant in terms of being a player to coach and does kind of represents everything that the Matt Eberflus hits principle is supposed to stand for. So I get it, but Dan, at Monday's day after press conference, Matt Eberflus was asked – Probably between 10 and 15 questions, you were part of the the the, the questioning um, brigade. Your, brigade is a great <laughs> word. Um, I'll let you take it from there because it was another um, another low point, I think, for the Bears in, in the way that this was handled, in the way that they were in a, unable to handle and manage the perception. 
Well, in the words of Mark Tressman, we're going to play some of it. We're not going to play all of it, but we're going to play some of it here in a minute. And we'll play some of that. And from what we've played, we won't hear all of it, but we'll hear some of it. I think, David, what frustrates me is that we spent 14 questions in the postgame press conference on Sunday evening just trying to get a little bit more clarity and understanding of what the, the situation going forward was going to be with Chase Claypool. And then we had to spend, I haven't even counted it up here yet on Monday afternoon, so much more time and so much more fuel and so many more questions just trying to get an understanding of of where this receiver is, where he stands, what's going to happen going forward. And, and Matt has just seemed uncomfortable in the role of explaining it. He clearly was part of the decision-making process to, again, suspend. I don't know if that's the right word. It doesn't seem like it is. Banish, definitely the right word. He's not going to be with the team in week five. If you're reading <laughs> the room, you understand that Chase Claypool is probably not going to be with the team again, that the Bears will probably either seek to find a trade partner, somebody that's willing to give them a 2026 eighth round pick. I know that doesn't exist or they waive them and they just cut their losses and say this just didn't work out. But the bottom line is, is you have to own this decision in a way that gives the outside world some comfort and clarity on what you're doing. And I don't think that has existed yet. And it's unfortunate. You know, I was on WSCR uh, on Monday afternoon with with uh, Dan Bernstein, Lawrence Holmes, and Layla Rahimi, and we were just talking about how we still haven't finished cleaning up the Allen Williams mess. And now we've got the Chase Claypool mess. And here we are a day after the starting quarterback has a breakthrough and has a career game and throws for 335 yards and four touchdown passes. And the only topic conversation in town is what the heck is going on with the, the diva receiver and the coaching staff in the front office that can't seem to get their messaging straight. I don't know. It's crazy. Clean up in aisle 10, and the questioning just on Chase Claypool on Monday lasted just around eight minutes, so it tells you how much time that dominated. Let's listen to a portion of the question and answer session at Hallis Hall. (laughs) Buckle in. (laughs) Buckle up. Monday afternoon at Hallis Hall, Chase Claypool being grilled, or I'm sorry, Matt Aberflux being grilled about Chase Claypool by the Bears media. And to keep Chase Claypool away from the team until you trade or waive him? Yeah, uh, right now we're just having him stay, uh, you know, not be in the building this week. And then again, Ryan does all the trades and transactions, and we'll decide that as we go forward. Why, so why keep him away? Why back? keep him away from the team right now? What is the rationale behind that? Yeah, we just feel that's the best for the team. We well, just feel- why. Yeah, it's just like we said, you know, for in the building, we feel that's best for the team. And really it comes down to this, you know, when you're evaluating players, right, you know, in meetings, you know, in practice, right, and, you know, in, you know, in walkthroughs, all those things, it's important that you evaluate the entire body of work, right, and we just, just feel that right now Chase is going to be out of the building is best for our football team. There's almost no scenario where a team would do this unless that player was done with that team. Is that the case with Chase, that he's not going to play for the Bears again? Well, he's, he's uh, like not going to be in the building this week, so he's not playing this week. You know, so that we'll see where it goes from there. And again, like I said, uh, Ryan handles all those say, all those trades and transactions, and we'll see where it goes. Would you think there's some possibility that then he would, you would have him out of the building? You would tell him not to come to a game. You'd have him out of the building, not to go to another game, and he would somehow be on the team again at some point and play. All I'm saying right now is that it's, he's uh, not in the building this week. Uh, what transpired this weekend when you informed him he was going to be inactive? Um, meaning what? What transpired? Something obviously flared up to the point where he was separated from the team for the remainder of the weekend. Yeah, I would just say that we wanted to. Uh, we thought it was best for the team. You know, you know, in terms of transpired, what transpired is that we informed him he was inactive and he was not going to be uh, with the team at the game. 
at that point, and then we informed him this morning that he was not going to be here this week. What was his response when you told him he was going to be inactive, and was that here at House Hall? Um, it was it was over the phone um, on, in both instances, and uh, his reaction was, you know, we'll keep it there. I don't. It's between me and him. It's obviously a part of this. Obviously, it seems to be triggering your decision to separate him from the team. Why not provide more clarity on on what his reaction was to explain why there's this sudden divorce and separation? Because it's a it's a conversation between uh, us, me, him, and Ryan. So. You, should, you should be able to give the factors for why you made the decision, though. Why did it get to this point with Chase? Yeah, I would just say that you know what we think is best for the team and how we operate here as a football team, you know, with the Chicago bears, you know, when I came here day one, right. I talked about, you know, being on time, you know, being respectful and working hard. And that, that to me is important um, for every individual. If it's a staff member or player or, you know, or a coach. And uh, that's where we are. And we feel right now this is the best decision for us. Well, that, 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 that answer indicates those, those are the issues, things, with Chase. Those are the issues then? The ones you just listed? I'm just saying that's, that's if, if we have a standard for that. We have standards for that. And if those standards are met, then everything's good. If it's not, then, then it's not. Hmm. <laughs> well, I, I great think, reaction, David. I, I think when we talk about uh, during like coaching searches and and executive searches, and and I've always been one of those guys that probably you, you can never discount the 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 young upcoming you know coaches and execs that are just obviously going to succeed. But there's value in experience. And on days like today, it's worth remembering the value of experience. Matt Eberflus clearly has not dealt with a crisis like this. And this isn't even as major one as he dealt with previously this year. But this first month of the season has exposed the inexperience of the Bears head coach to handle crises. And I think that's only part of it, Dan. I think that there's more to it, but but that's a good place to start. I mean, you stumbled through your answers on Sunday night. You made a decision on Monday to tell Chase Claypool to not come with you to meetings or walkthroughs or practices or a game in Washington later this week. You had hours before you met with the media on Monday to figure out what you were going to say and how you were going to say it. To come across in that forum that clumsily and that awkward and that you know, seemingly directionless with your messaging was, it was it just jarring. It's just jarring for, again, a charter franchise in the National Football League in a billion dollar industry to be stumbling all over themselves the way they are. I said to somebody on the walk in to 1920 football drive this morning, David, that I feel like Kevin Warren in the role of team president is like Carl Winslow in, in Family Matters. It's like, it's, Things just keep going haywire around him. And Urkel's over on the side of the room going, did I do that? And you're like, how did that become a calamity? That was a basic task. And now you're dealing with this chaos and this craziness. And, and it doesn't help the perception that you've got things under control when you're 0-4. You've lost 14 in a row. Your football team's coming off a historic come from behind loss, you know, and you can't get a single thing to provide a sense of, of command, you know, and maybe they, they have that behind closed doors with the team, but boy, it did not come across today in that session. All right. A couple things. Seldom has so much media coverage been devoted to someone who has accomplished so little in Chase Claypool, but I understand why. I think the longer that Matt Eberflew spoke, 
on Monday. And as you point out, the day after he kind of clumsily fumbled through the post game situation and, and, and had bad information that he shared with the media. Uh, I, I don't think that he did any favors the day after just kind of exposed his inexperience and to a lot of people made him seem a little bit overwhelmed and overmatched for the scope of this job. And, and the last thing is that if, if you are Kevin Warren and we're giving him the benefit of the doubt here, and, and I think that he'll deserve and get that for a while, but at some point in time, as we reach the second month of this regular season and the bears have been immersed in nothing but crises and, and been nothing but a, a, a clumsy franchise that frankly, to a lot of us have been around for a while, seems like more of the same, we're going to make the assumption that he's part of the problem and not the solution like we thought when he came here. Now, that is hasty, and I don't necessarily want to stick to that, but I do want to know what he thinks about this, and I would love to hear how he plans to address it. And whether it's his own news conference, whether it's an action that he takes, but right now we have a defensive coordinator that has resigned under very mysterious circumstances, you have a troubled player that has been suspended, <laughs> banished, exiled, uh, without any sort of details or clarity why. And we have a football team that stinks out loud. So you can't have bad culture and a bad on-the-field product without hearing at some point in time from the person who is chiefly responsible for the entire organization. And Kevin Warren's name is at the top of the hierarchy. What does he think and what is he going to do about it? You just said those two things. I think that's very, very important to uh, have on our radar for the for the weeks, the months ahead, because at some point you have to have a better understanding of, of, of those answers and figuring out which direction it goes from here. I thought two years ago during the week of Thanksgiving with the whole patch.com situation that I had seen it all, that I had watched the mishandling of situations in a way that was just infathomable. Took calls from all over the league that week asking like what in the world is going on and why can't they get it to stop? Well, guess what? The calls are still coming now under completely different circumstances under completely different leadership. And you have to figure out a way to stop embarrassing yourself as a, as a, as a, a franchise in the national football league, you've become an embarrassment with your on-field product and your off-field handling of difficult situations. You are an embarrassment right now. Somebody has to put a stop to that. The team president was hired nine months ago, had his first official day on the job six months ago. You have to have um, some signs going forward. To your point, it doesn't have to necessarily be a, uh, you know, a session with the media, Q&A, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. But at some point, there needs to be a, a sense that he has acknowledged the issues, that he's addressing the issues, and that there are changes being made for meaningful impact. He's been here long enough to recognize that. I think he's been long enough to be able to acknowledge that and long enough to be able to do something about that or begin that process. Because I believe, as you point out, the embarrassment that the Bears have, uh, the self-inflicted embarrassment, just the embarrassment they've experienced in the first month of this season Ooh. alone has replaced the stadium project as the number one priority on the list of things to do for the team president. Because I do think that you, you know, you have you have things that come up in the course of your day, in the course of your week or year that replace, and your priorities get shifted temporarily. Right now, I would think that Kevin Warren's to-do list 
looks dramatically different than it did a month ago. Literally and figuratively, they hired him to be a builder, correct? And right now, he has had to put on a fire hat and get a truck and drive out with with the most high-powered hose he has to be able to put out fires seemingly every single week. There's a new one in the building now. And this is, again, coming off a 21-point lead that was blown yesterday that turned into a loss. And then you have this whole separate situation that seems like it could have been really quickly and concisely handled in a way where it didn't bleed over into, oh, by the way, a short week of preparation heading to a road game in Washington against the Commanders. We talked two weeks ago about the last thing the Bears could afford when they were preparing to try to be at least marginally competitive against the Kansas City Chiefs was a week of distractions. And then they provided the the biggest distractions you could possibly provide. Well, now here we are in a short week. Please don't do anything to take away from our, our, our brain power and our time and the investments we need to make to try to win a football game for the first time since last October, and we start the week with this. I mean, if they're going to have distractions, could they could at least invite Taylor Swift. I mean, come on. Have <laughs> or Aaron Rodgers. Let's, let's have Aaron. Yeah, or Aaron Rodgers. That's Thursday. fine. <laughs> if he, you know, Kevin Warren, if he wanted to take a cue from somebody in the organization about how to say the right things and handle himself in a composed manner, he could have watched and listened as Colt Komet addressed reporters shortly after Matt Eberflus did. And before we get to that, Dan, what did you want to say? About yeah, just going to set, set up this this sound uh, bite from Cole because Cole obviously is, is a, a former teammate of Chase's from Notre Dame's. He's a, a close friend of Chase Claypool's. He understands all sides of this. Look, he, like he's, he's very close to Chase and he's going to be sympathetic to Chase, but he also understands the emotional volatility that has been there during his entire stretch of knowing Chase Claypool. So he's a very informed person to be able to answer these questions. And I believe it was Alex Shapiro of uh, NBC Sports who asked the question about whether there were things at Notre Dame that that the Fighting Irish staff did to try to keep this oversized personality and this temperamental nature from becoming a problem. And that, that was the start of this exchange with Cole Komet. Notre Dame, was there anything special or different that coaches or teammates did to help Chase channel or express his emotions and passion in a positive way? Um, no, I mean, I don't know if I can really speak anything special. Um, look, I think at the end of the day, um, things are like when you're we're, we're winning a lot, you know, so things are all right when you're winning. Um, and it's frustrating when you're losing. So that, that that's kind of what I'll leave it to on that. I mean, um, when you're winning, everything's fine and all things are good. And, um, you gotta, it, it, things get much harder when, when, when you got things in the line and, um, and, and you're losing consecutive games. Oh, from your, from your vantage point, you know, Chase very well, obviously, why have things devolved the way they have with, with him in this organization? I, I go back to the losings, you know, I think losing, uh, can, it can be hard for guys to deal with. And, um, it's been hard for me to manage, but you got to find ways to, um, get back to work, clear your mind every day. You know, it's hard. Um, look, haven't won it. I mean, I, I haven't won a game in almost a year now. And, um, trust me, I take it home with me and it hurts, man. It hurts. And, uh, it's hard to deal with it, but you gotta, we, we all gotta be adults about it and be able to move on and, um, you know, be able to trust the process set. And, uh, it can be hard to do sometimes when things aren't going your way and, um, you know, maybe you're not getting the targets you want and you're not winning and all those things kind of add up and you get frustrated and, um, but you, you have to be a, a man about it, be an adult about it and be able to, to reset your mind each and every week and, and, and just look to improve yourself individually each and every day. Good stuff. I mean, Colt Komet said what you want to hear 
from a veteran. And I think that if the head coach of, of any football team would have just come out and established plainly what the standard is and if players who don't meet it aren't going to be part of the, 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 the crew, then I think people would have – we wouldn't be in this situation and, and calling the Bears clumsy and having this sort of uh, cloudy message. Be a man about it. Be an adult about it. Those were very straightforward words from a friend, right? It's not that difficult. If you're going to have a standard, stick to the standard. Let everybody know what that is and, and, and what the consequences are. The Bears have done so indirectly. They did a poor job on Monday of showing the outside world how they were directly addressing something. you know. And so we'll, we'll see where this all goes from here. I think the expectation now – um, almost universally is that Chase Claypool will will never wear a Bears jersey again on a game day. It would stun everybody uh, if he did. And so, what wh- what is the you know the separation look like now? And wh- and where does it go in the coming days? Uh, again, it's, it's just so unfortunate because, like I say, your your starting quarterback had a day where he threw for 335 yards and, and four touchdowns. And yes, there were two fourth quarter turnovers that we'll get into and we got into on Sunday. Um, but there should be moments here where you're saying, okay, there was a glimmer of sunshine that broke through that cloud. And yet here we are over just examining the wreckage of, of the latest part of the storm. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Hey everyone, this is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment, for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball's been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone Podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, let's talk about that quarterback day in our segment, QB1. All right, Dan, we go through the categories every week. Let's start with the defining moment for Justin Fields, who had himself quite a day statistically. There was good, there was bad, there was a lot of in-between. What was his defining moment in your mind? Yeah, in my eyes, it's a rerun. You know, it's the interception that ends the game on the final pass that the Bears threw on Sunday. It's a miscommunication. It's crossed wires between Justin and Cole Komet. Um, Both players kind of reacting to what they're seeing from the safety and the coverage in that instance. Both players having the right intentions. Both players not in sync. What I'm trying to get my my brain wrapped around is, is how do they get in sync? When you have a read and you have a, a, a tight end running a route, trying to gauge what the safety is doing in coverage, a quarterback is seeing something slightly different and wants to have that, that you know, 
the, the best have it, you know, Brady and Gronk and, and Mahomes and Kelsey, they have that sixth sense of knowing, okay, I know what he's going to do here and I'm going to do what he expects me to do here. They obviously didn't have that on Sunday. It results in a, 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 lost ceiling interception as opposed to a completion, which David, as you saw in that moment, if that ball is completed, the bears are in field goal range with a chance to tie the game and perhaps do more. And so that's what this team is about right now. Those are defining moments of football seasons, game on the line, make a play. Don't turn the ball over. We know which side the bears have been on for too long. There's really no other answer, but that. So I'll just amplify, amplify and ask, ask one more question and kind of look at that play specifically. There was a miscommunication. It was, you know, Justin Fields read one thing, Cole Komet read another. And I think that that to me was almost as, as uh, I don't want to say it wiped out a lot of the, the, the positives that were made, but, but you just don't want to see that at that point in the game. And I wonder how that happens. And I wonder if that was, um, if you got any more clarity on that, well, in, in yeah, after because it was something that obviously is defining in his game, but also defining in his career. It's a good question because my interpretation today from listening to Cole's next day uh, analysis of that play is that given the distance that they were facing, it was third and 13, not third and nine or third and 10, that he was hell bent on getting past the sticks, even though you might be in four down territory there, his instincts in that situation is I have to make sure that I catch this pass beyond the line to gain. So we move the chains and we get a new set here. And so in order to do that with the coverage he was facing from the safety, he felt like he had to get up there and then make that, that inward break. Justin was hoping that because that safety was playing as deep as he was, that Cole would, would sit down a little bit short of the sticks in a spot. And so that's where he trusted and threw the ball to, um, Again, it just wasn't it wasn't in lockstep. And so these are little things, these little nuances within within football that separate winning teams from losing teams. And you would hope again, like this isn't Cole Komet didn't sign with the Bears in, you know, June. This right. is a guy who's been with Justin his entire career here. At some point, the on-field chemistry needs to translate into moments like that where, where it separates a win from a loss. It didn't on Sunday. It's why we're talking about another defining moment of the Bears failing to put together a game-tying or game-winning drive in, in the clutch. Uh, and one of these days, they've got to get over that hump. Might be the same thing, but the next category is the uh-oh moment. My sense is it's going to be one or the other. What was your uh-oh moment for Justin Fields? So it's the strip sack, and I would like to get a little bit more intel from Luke Getze on Tuesday when we get a chance to talk to him in regards to things that Justin may have been able to do differently to buy himself. Really, he just needed to buy himself an extra three-quarters of a second. You obviously have a naked bootleg concept there with the, the the edge rusher coming in untouched and and nobody is supposed to account for him that's the entire design of the play now you have to execute that play fake in a way that perhaps gives you more depth and again like maybe you just need another three quarters of a second so that after you execute that play fake and you turn around you see that guy and now you have this elite athleticism to dodge him either to get the ball out and dirt it or to get around him and then make a play that way. And so I, that's where I'd like to hear a little bit more from Luke on Tuesday, but that's a huge moment in that game. It's 28, 21. The bears are trying to hold on to a game that's slipping away. And the last thing you can have is a turnover in that situation. The last thing you can have is a turnover that results in a defensive touchdown for the opponent. Uh Oh, is the only optimal way to describe that. There's no other way to respond and there's no other way to, to describe. I mean, 28 to 21, you're in the fourth quarter. The only thing that I would wonder is that if you, as you call, uh, and, and maybe this is asking a bit much, but I wonder this because, you know, you have to try to anticipate everything. So when you call the play in the huddle and you understand that there's going to be 
this naked bootleg. They call it naked because you don't have any protection. Yep. And you wonder if you are in your head already two ticks ahead because you're anticipating that there is no protection. So you have to be ready once you once you make the fake that somebody might be on you immediately if they read it right, if they are blitzing like the Broncos were. So I do, I do, I think it's a tough thing to say, well, you know, he should have done this and he should have done that. But I do wonder if they, the anticipation level, the reminders or anybody in the huddles or anybody in his ear, okay, we're calling this, but be ready because it may be coming off the edge. And as soon as you turn around, he may be on you. So don't, you know, make sure you protect the football. It's, it's one of those things that's easy to say after the fact, but I wonder what the alerts and alarms were going off before the snap. Well, look, it's an anticipation and it's an urgency. You know, it's like with my kids, we can either be two minutes early to someplace or we can be two minutes late. And it's up to you to to figure out how how urgent you want to be getting in the car and getting your shoes on. Let's go. So like when you're executing one of these plays, there is an urgency that comes with that. Because as you mentioned, when you turn around, there is a chance that someone is going to be right there in your kitchen when you turn around. And so you better be able to react to that in a way that's there. Again, like I'm not going to skewer Justin for this. It's a very difficult situation. But it is something that if you're looking for teachable moments that you have to work through so that in the next instance that that occurs, you uh, come out on the positive end of that or at least come out in a negative end that's not a strip sack fumble return for a touchdown. What was your bright spot, bright uh, for for Justin Fields? Absolutely loved the two off-script touchdown passes. The first one to Cole Komet. It was Cole's second touchdown catch of the first half and the one to Khalil Herbert. These are two plays that that Justin made with a combination of athleticism and vision and decisiveness, both of them. Different fashion. The first one to Komet, uh, you know, rolling out the the play that they called wasn't there. It was taken away by the way that the, the, the Broncos defense played it and Cole had to improvise there and Justin had to use both a uh, in the agility outside and then the calm vision to see how Cole was adjusting. And then, bam, the defense reacts. Again, you treat it like a point guard and you throw it to him. The one to Herbert, you avoid a rush, you know, and I think Justin's prior instincts are to take off and turn that into a tuck and run situation. Yesterday on that pass to, to Herbert, he, he, he got away from the pressure, used his eyes up, said, there's my guy, boom. Ripped it. Touchdown. Two-yard touchdown pass. These are the types of things that have to happen six to eight times a game for you to be a next-level offense. Off-script playmaking by the quarterback as a thrower. Justin has elite athleticism. We've documented that. It has to now translate into off-script throws. Those are two instances that it did. I like that one. I also like the one that was the touchdown pass, the 29-yarder to DJ Moore, because we always talk about how in the first couple games or he need he needs to let his receivers try to go up and make a play. On that one, that's exactly what he did. I mean, DJ Moore made a tremendous play. He had eight catches for 131 yards with that touchdown, a 29-yarder that he kicked the pylon. It was he had to review it and he knew it was in and all the stuff. But what that what that showed was this this trust that has developed quickly between the two. And what you spent the offseason gushing about, got people excited about the season, actually. Remember that um, when people were excited about this season? I don't. Justin Fields connected (laughs) with, uh, you know, one plus two equals six. And finally, that connection hit on that play. And when you give uh, your receivers like that a chance to make a play, number one wide receivers in the NFL will catch that ball and come down in bounds like DJ Moore did. And that was a good reminder. So that was my on the bright side for Justin Fields. 
No doubt. All right. My key number, David, was 335. That's a career high in passing yards for Justin Fields. It has to be circled. It has to have a highlighter wrapped around that as well. This is a, a, a kid right now who needed positive moments. 335 yards and four touchdown passes is a positive moment. I know he was laying down in his locker after the game Sunday, and he was pretty dispirited by the way that game ended. But hopefully when he woke up Monday morning and as he gets into Tuesday and Wednesday, he feels some of that identity that the Bears were establishing offensively on Sundays. He feels some of that rhythm and flow that they got into when he completed 23 of his first 24 passes. Hopefully he feels the confidence and the energy that can carry forward, obviously in a month now where you have to get a win soon. Third and 10 in the uh, fourth quarter, my number is 20 because that was how long Justin Fields' run was when he improvised and he did what he needed to do, which I think is interesting reminder just how, how explosive he can be. It also opens a door for us to look through and say, well, this is the running quarterback we talk about all the time. The guy who had a thousand yards rushing last year, you take away that 20 yarder, he had three carries for five yards. Mm -hmm. This is not somebody that was threatening the Broncos with his feet. Maybe the implied threat did, but it wasn't somebody that was getting, you know, a, a lot of, uh, room to run or felt that it was necessary. He did have 335 yards passing, as you point out. But to me, what that 20-yarder did was, number one, it kept the drive alive, and that was a key key moment in the game at the time. But it also just reminded him and maybe everybody else how dangerous he can be when he is tucking and running. I don't want that to disappear from his repertoire. The Bears can't afford to let that be ignored because that skill makes him different. We saw the potential in the passing game, certainly, but – him as a runner is what separates him from comparing, being compared to others. I like it. I, I, I would like to see a gradual evolution towards some of the things that Mahomes does. I'm not asking him to be Patrick Mahomes, but be able to make some plays with your arm on the move and then be able to use your movement skills to be like, I'm going to make a play with my arm. I'm going to make a play. Oh, no, I'm taking off now. And then you take it for 12 yards. And that was an instance where I think he, he did a nice job of, of, of looking downfield and then saying that my best option here is my legs. Let's go. I saw some of those instincts on display. I think I was watching Saturday. I think it was a USC and Colorado game might have been that hmm. game. But hmm, they have a pretty good quarterback. We'll talk about him, I'm sure, at some point. Uh, you in one think, of these you thinking a package deal, maybe? The coach, <laughs> I don't know. It's way too early to start that. I, 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 I railed <laughs> against that this morning. All right, so that is our, our QB1 segment. Uh, let's get into what are we going to call our next segment? It's a special edition to the podcast, <laughs> to the Take the North podcast. Uh, meatballs on the menu? Could that be one? We're bringing Adam Stasinski. We'll come up with a better name than that. We'll come up with a better one than that. All right, let's bring in studs to react and respond. We got a little carried away on Sunday night in our post-game reaction. So we'll bring in Adam Stasinski. He's now capable of expressing himself. He has breathed into the paper bag that he was using to wear at the game. So now he can – he's not hyperventilating. He can share with us what he thought about the Bears' loss. Oh, geez. Okay. Yeah. So I appreciate the, the time here. So here's the deal. I came to, I went through, I think all five stages of grief between three 30 and six 30 or seven yesterday. And I finally came to a piece when I realized like my, the way my brain works, if I can't find the, a logical answer, or if I can't connect a reason why something isn't working, it really bugs me. Right. That's how I felt for three weeks watching this team. Like, what is the problem here? Like, why can't they get out of their own way? What is going on? And I came to a, to a piece last night when I realized, I think it's the coaching. 
And I, like, it's we got a long way to go. It's week four, but I don't know if I've ever been this out on a coaching staff this soon in the season. Like, after, especially after the display that Matt Eberflus had today talking about Chase Claypool, like the guy's overwhelmed. He can't get the small things right. And that, he's, that doesn't even get to your offensive coordinator who took his foot off the gas in the second half. When when you got when the Broncos got to down 14 at the start of the fourth quarter there, you needed to go get points. And you needed to get your offense back on the back, heavy pedal to the metal. Like we got to go get points and make this a three score game again and make sure that they know the other sideline knows that we're not messing around and we're winning this game. They didn't do that. They turtled a little bit, not extremely, but they turtled a little bit. Then you got the fourth down and one thing. I'm totally okay with going forward in that situation. You get a yard, you win the game. The way they went about it was ridiculous. You go up there, you do the hard count, just run a play. Say, like, that's a situation we say, hey, Justin, what play do you want? Okay, go up there, do a hard count. If they don't jump, run whatever play you want to run. You need to talk to your quarterback about it. We we talked about this on the Bernstein Home Show today about how, you know, a few years ago, I think it was in Lamar Jackson's second year, John, John Harbaugh had a situation where there's a fourth and one. They go for it. They can win the game. He gets Lamar over to him and he says, hey, do you want to go for it? Lamar says, yes. What play do you want to run? And what and Lamar ends up converting, they win the game. That's the kind of thing you need to be doing with your quarterback. Instead, he's talking to Luke Getze. Justin Fields is over there talking to Ch- Tyson Bajan, and they just run the play that's called. I don't like that at all. So, so wait, did you some, just did, did, did Stud just say that Tyson Bajan called that play? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he did. Okay. I, I don't know. And, it, and look, I know there's been a lot of debate about the shotgun play itself. I don't necessarily hate the play call all that much, but I would have liked something that kept the ball in Justin Fields' hand. And this is the last thing I'm going to say. I I don't know why, for the life of me, every NFL team isn't running the, the Eagles QB push play. It's a play that the NFL has basically said is legal. And until the NFL says you can't do this, every single team needs to be doing it when you need to get a yard. Every single team, including the Bears, who have a quarterback built similarly to Jalen Hurts. Get him under center, have Kari Blassengame and Khalil Herbert or whoever push him and get the first down. So I think I feel a lot better now even after that, right? Like something has to change here. And I I woke up this morning too thinking like I'm glad that Kevin Warren was in the locker room last night because like as you guys mentioned earlier, like what's he thinking right now? Like he's got to be thinking I got a whole mess like, this is a bigger mess than I even thought. Like, the stadium is one thing. That's down the line. Like, we got to fix what's happening at House Hall right now. Like, this is ridiculous. And I hope that he is not going to stand for this, at least not for much longer. There Good we go. Stuff, studs. All right. <laughs> we feel better. You feel better. Cleansed. Feel He's better. cleansed, David. He's cleansed. He's cleansed. <laughs> that was catharsis. Maybe we'll have to come up with a good name for that one every Monday. <laughs> well, on uh, we had uh, Steve Rosenblum last year on his Saturday show, Saturday Suckage on the Score, had me do a segment every week called Staszynski and Meatballs. So I don't know if this is the oh, same thing. but <laughs> I like it. Yeah. I like it. We can go with that. All right, let's get on with it with our two-minute drill. The two-minute drill. The two-minute drill. All right, Dan, so the Bears get uh, the opportunity to have Tevin Jenkins return to practice. Do you think he will play Thursday against the Commanders? No, uh, Tevin has been designated to return, which opens up a 21-day window for him to rejoin the 53-man roster. They only have any time frame within those 21 days to to give him that green light and clear him to return. Uh, he, he's 
eligible to practice, but David, as you know, on these short weeks, they don't really practice. There will be no practice Monday. There will be no practice Tuesday. There will be a uh, modified walkthrough on Wednesday, and then off you go on a plane to Washington to play the commander. So it would be very difficult for him to get on the football field and and see his first game action of 2023 in that circumstance. His first true test of practice would be in a longer week in week six, where I would assume that the Bears would try to do something on Monday and then have their usual Wednesday, Thursday, Friday routine uh, leading up to the game against the Vikings. That provides a a more realistic runway for Tevin to get him back. You obviously have to check in with conditioning. You have to see how uh, his, his leg responds to the work that he's doing. But it is a good sign that that window has been opened and now they have 21 days to, to kind of explore it. With a short week, it probably complicates the other injury situations. I know Matt Eberflus did not have any injury updates in his uh, podium appearance on Monday. What are your expectations for guys like Eddie Jackson, Jalen Johnson, and anyone else who might be out? Yeah, I mean, wait and see. And and the, those secondary injuries are huge because we know that in a, a big moment yesterday when the Bears uh, needed a defensive stop, when, when the Broncos had tied the game and got the ball back after that aforementioned fourth down stop that Studs was just talking about, that they had a rookie corner who got picked on and, and uh, got beat down the field for a big gain uh, by Marvin Mims. And, and, and so you want Eddie Jackson out there. You want Jalen Johnson out there. You want to have a full strength defense at some point that gives you a chance to pull out those games. Uh, hopefully those guys are, are, are closer than not to being back on the field, but no, no clear cut indication either way. What did you make of Terrell Smith's uh, showing and how much that might've damaged his confidence as a young player? Yeah. I don't know if confidence damage is, is anything I'm worried about. This is just uh, being a rookie corner in the NFL. You learn a lot of lessons the hard way. This kid seems pretty mentally tough. He was pretty good in run support on Sunday. He's a kid that's got a lot of um, natural traits for the position, and the Bears are continuing to kind of kind of groom and develop those, and you just get thrown in every once in a while. And again, you get thrown in with a secondary that's depleted everywhere, and so there's nowhere to really hide. Um, obviously, there's some moments that you'd like to have back, but there's also just some growing pains that you have to experience uh, as you go through this league and try to figure out who you are in that in that role. Dan, there's a lot of history being made, not much of it good, but Matt Eberflus, courtesy of our buddy Brad Biggs in the Chicago Tribune, chicagotribune.com, and his 10 thoughts, includes this little nugget. Only three coaches in the Super Bowl era have a worse winning percentage than Matt Eberflus with a minimum of 20 games, and they are Norb Hecker, (laughs) 66-68 with the Falcons, Jim Ringo, 76-77 with the Buffalo Bills, and Harvey Johnson, 1968 and 1971 with the Bills as well. Matt Eberflus is fourth on that list. This is not trending in the right direction. I know you get asked it all the time, but is this a week to week thing, month to month? What uh, what kind of what kind of uh, alert are you on in terms of the coaching hot seat? And these kinds of rumors. Well, I did mention to Brad that Hugh Jackson started his tenure with the Cleveland Browns at one and thirty-one. Brad pushed back and said he was eight and eight with the Raiders before that, so he didn't qualify for that list because he had a better record with the Raiders. But that one and thirty-one start in Cleveland was one of those ones where you go, you can't survive that. And then he did. He got into a third season, and I think he got launched in the middle of his third season, which I don't think is something we want to see happen here. I mean, you're going to be on alert. The the first question I ask people that are just looking for that instant gratification of of someone getting canned at Alice Hall is, is then what? You have to answer the question, then what? And then you have to answer the question after that, then what? 
you know, you have to play it out two and three steps down the line. I don't know that they're in a position to be able to make that make sense within the season. What we just talked about a few minutes ago is you have to kind of uh, minimize the embarrassment as much as you can and just creating another hole uh, for a team that already had its defensive coordinator resign for a team that doesn't have a coaching staff that has a, a an experienced, you know, interim candidate sitting there. I just, I just don't know what you do at that point. Now that said, David, it is October 2nd. And if the next eight weeks go as bad as the first four weeks went, oh my God, nothing is off the table because neither one of us walked into week one preparing for that game against the Packers thinking we'd be sitting here on October 2nd talking about all that we've talked about over the last 28 days. Last thing I have for you is I want you to pick one. Which one is worse for the Bears? The fact that on Sunday, A, Khalil Mack had six sacks, <laughs> or B, C.J. Stroud had his second 300-plus yard passing day, one more than Justin Fields in his career in four games, and had another pass rating over 100 for the two and two Houston Texans. Well, look, I mean, the two and two Houston Texans. Wow. What a turnaround that is, right? Like really, really quickly, they've seemed to, to find their footing with a young team and, a, and, and an energetic coach that's getting the most out of that young team right now. The Khalil Mack thing, I came home and was watching the Sunday night game and didn't pick up on that notable nugget till halftime when they said Khalil Mack had not one, not two. Not three, not four, not five, but six sacks. I said, wait, what? Wow. He had six sacks in a single game. Obviously, the Bears are going to see him later this month when they travel to LA to play the Chargers. Um, man, that like that, that, that it kind of blew my mind, honestly, to hear that that number. I think I also saw that Travis Gibson had a strip sack for the Titans. Yes. <laughs> against Joe, Joe Burrow on I, I Sunday. Mean, so man, you, you, these are guys that left your building, you know, and I understand why. In very different circumstances, both of those guys aren't here. But, man, you could really use somebody to sack the quarterback once. Mac, Gibson, Roquan, Claypool. I mean, at some point in time, what's going to happen, we know how this goes and we know how this trends. The bookkeeping on Matt Eberflus's shortcomings is going to shift into the shortcomings of Ryan Poles' tenure in the talent evaluation. It's all related. They're always related. And I just wonder how tightly of a connection that will be because – you know, these kinds of things are going to be fair or not topics of conversation as we search for them and the Bears remain redundantly bad. No doubt about it. I mean, look like, <laughs> yeah, you know, I hear you. like what you said earlier, just, huh? you know, yeah. like it's just, it's just the way you feel right now. And I think that as much as anything is why, why Sunday was as painful as it was because everyone associated with this football team needed a little break from all of this a nice victory over a feeble opponent on a nice sunday afternoon by lake michigan would have just done wonders for the mood and the vibes and it didn't happen and here we are once again and here we are dropping this on tuesday morning the bears play thursday night will we drop another episode on thursday morning with our predictions and a quick update just to get on the board and let you know what we expect to happen out in uh, the nation's capital. That's the plan uh, here at the Take the North podcast. It remains Take the North. Thank you for suggestions <laughs> on Tank the North, but we'll wait a little bit before we rename that. But you can find us on your free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. And you can watch us on the 670 Scores YouTube page. Anything else, Dan, before we get out of here? Yeah, one last thing. Tyson Bajan, your official backup quarterback for the Chicago Bears going forward. Matt Eberflus said Monday, a combination of, uh, of practice – 
meeting and walkthrough performance has allowed him to create this opportunity for himself. You talk about a story that should have been the headline at some point, and it's like story nine right now for the Bears. What a great walkthrough that must have been that he was evaluated to elevate past Nathan Peterman. Did Nathan Peterman stumble in the ballroom? What was it about this walkthrough that went so well for Tyson? I, mean, and I think you just have a young quarterback who has shown uh, command, you know, since he got here. And they, they, that's they, what I wish they would say. I just know. say that. Right. You know, when, when, when Matt Eberflus talks about being evaluated in meetings and that, whether or not it may, makes you think of like, I remember you have to sit up straight. Are you a front row guy or not? Are you chewing gum or not chewing gum? Come on. I mean, just just speak plainly in, in common sense language. All right. Sorry. But yeah, Tyson Bajan, number two. I'm happy about that because I like I'm, I'm, I'm a proud member of the Bajancy still. Yeah, I know you are. And uh, you're going to get uh, a big day at some point, probably this year, almost certainly. All right. For Dan Weeder and Adam Stadzinski, the proud author of the Stadzinski and Meatball segment. I'm David Haw. We will talk to you Thursday breaking down the bears and the commanders. Thank you for listening to the Take the North podcast. Great talk. See you out there.